forgot to turn the mic on. <laughs> Um, and to uh, try to be more like Jesus in every way that we possibly can. So that theme is gone as far as a congregational theme. That's in the past, but it's good that we're still thinking about that, still singing about that and praying about that, and I hope uh, that continues. Uh, you might want to go ahead and open your Bible and your Old Testaments to Genesis chapter 6. We will be there in just a few moments, Genesis chapter 6. New beginnings are a necessary part of life. I remember doing my math homework and running across a difficult problem. I'd work on it and work on it and finally, in sheer disgust, wad up the paper and throw it in the vicinity of the trash basket. Then I'd get a new page and start all over again. Traditionally, January 1st is the time we take to re-examine how things are and make resolutions to make them better, to start over again. It's like a new page, so to speak, one that is uncluttered and where, where there is room for new purposes and fresh plans. And I suppose all of us like the idea of being able to start over again. Forgiveness of sins is the best of all possible new beginnings. Can you imagine what life would be like if we had to carry around the baggage of all the mistakes, all the misjudgments, all the immoral things that we have done in the past? The sheer weight of the guilt would be imposing, if not impossible, to bear. The angelic annunciation stated from Matthew 1 and verse 21 that he, Christ, shall save his people from their sins. That's the best of all new beginnings. So maybe it would be the best of a new beginning to start with a fervent personal prayer for forgiveness. That's what I'm going to do. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we are told in 1 John 1 and verse 9. That's about as good a way to begin the new year as I can think of. That's just a small excerpt from an article that the late uh, Brother D. Bowman, if any of you were familiar with him, wrote several years ago that I printed out, that I put in my files that uh, I try to remember from time to time. The title of that article, I think, says everything that we want to say this morning. The title of that article was, Just Wad It Up and Start Over. Although we can wad it up, whatever it is, and start over at the beginning of each new hour or each new day, each new week or each new month, we can also do the same at the beginning of each new year. And so as we are at the beginning of this year, while 2024 is still very young, I want us to take some time in this session this morning to uh, do what Brother Bowman was thinking about doing for himself and encouraging all of us who are God's children to do from time to time to just this morning wipe the slate clean, to turn a new page in our life and to consider some things that God's Word has to say to us about this idea of starting over. And the first thought about starting over is this, and it may come as somewhat of a surprise to you or maybe you haven't thought about it, in this way, but I think it is very much true. 
As we think about this idea of starting over, I think we need to first of all consider that God, God started over. When we think about God, of course, we think about perfection. We, we think about someone who is true, someone who is righteous, someone who is holy, a being in whom there is no blemish, there is no defect, there certainly is no darkness, there is no sin, as John tells us early on in that little epistle in 1 John chapter 1 at verse 5, that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. So we are correct when we think about God, that we think about perfection. When we even think about God's creation, we think about perfection, don't we? And that certainly is true. As we read in Genesis chapter 1 at the very end of the creation account there in that chapter at verse 31, the writer tells us that all that God had made was not only good, but everything that God had made was very good. There, there was no stain. There was no blemish. There was nothing that was imperfect about the creation that God had made. But we know as we continue reading, especially starting in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis that sin soon entered into God's good and perfect world. And sin really, over time, saturated God's world to the point that the good creator seemingly had no other choice but to, in the words of what we're thinking about this morning, with our world, in a sense, to wad it up and start over with our world. And so, if you're already open there to Genesis chapter 6, to think about some of what is said to us here about just exactly how far our world had gone away from God. What was the spiritual state of humankind at this point? Genesis chapter 6, read with me there beginning at verse 5. The writer says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was very sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man from uh, whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Drop down to verse 11. The writer goes on to tell us, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Of course, this was not a starting over because God himself in some way needed to start over. It's not because God looked back on his past, if you can think about that. God is an eternal being. I don't know, you know, to think about time before God created the heavens and the earth. If there was time, it certainly was different than what we know now. So it wasn't anything on God's end of the stick, if you want to think about it that way, that God that caused him to start over. But as he looked at the creation and how far they had gone from him, that every thought of man's heart was only evil continually. I mean, we look out into our world today and we think things are really bad, and they are. But it wasn't as bad, it seems to me, as the state of God's good world at this particular point. And so God decided he would start over. And of course, he did this with Noah and his family, all the animals in the ark. We're not going to take the time to read all of these passages. But if you continue uh, looking there toward the end of the chapter, verses 17 through 19, God tells Noah that he's going to destroy the earth that he has made with water. He's going to flood it, that all the animals are going to be killed, that all of the human beings are going to be killed except for him and his family, eight souls. Everything that was in the ark would be saved, of course, and preserved. 
but not those things that were outside of the ark. As you go into chapter uh, 7 at verse 21, uh, God says, or the writer tells us again that those things came uh, to pass. Verse 23, that he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the earth from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left together with those who were with him in the ark. You come to chapter 8, and we continue to see this thought here. Uh, after the floodwaters subside, it tells us there at verse 11, that the dove came to Noah toward evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. The earth was returning back to normal. Uh, there at verse 15, then God spoke to Noah saying, get out of the ark and your, uh, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. And he was to bring all of the animals that he had put into the ark back. And then at chapter 9, God gives what he had already given mankind back in chapter 1, this uh, divine work, this charge to go forth into the world, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue the earth, that man was to have dominion over the rest of the creation. And God reiterates that instruction here to Noah and to his sons. And so if these texts tell us nothing else, surely they are showing us that God started over. God himself started over with the world that he had made. Because of sin, not because of his sin, obviously, but because of the sin of those of us that have been created in his image. So I think we have this example set for us, or at least as I was thinking about this lesson, we have this example of God starting over. And since our perfect and sinless and holy God saw the need to literally wipe our sin-stained world clean with water to start over with a righteous and a blameless man as Noah is described in chapter 6 and his family. Surely, as we look at our own lives and we see that oftentimes we are imperfect, that we are unholy, that we are unclean people because of sin, surely we can see the need to do so with our own lives and especially at this time as we begin a new year, as we turn a page in our life. So we can see the need for this, as we'll think about in this lesson this morning, but we can also be thinking, and some of you may already be thinking, well, yeah, I know I need to start over in this aspect of my life, but that's really hard to do. That's, that's going to be something that's going to be very difficult, something that's going to be very painful, and if you're thinking that way, you're exactly right. And I would submit to you, even here in this example of God, was it easy for God to look into the world, the perfect good world that he had made, and to see the starry, sorry state of this very good world that he had created. Again, back to Genesis 6 and verse 6, it says there, the writer tells us that it filled God's heart with sorrow, with grief, to look at the state of this world. I think it's telling us that this was something that was very difficult for God, something that was very hard for God to destroy those that were made in his image and according to his likeness, it was hard for God to destroy the animals that he had made. And yet God did it nonetheless. And so when we think about our own life, when sin has entered into our lives, when sin maybe has taken over our lives, we have no choice if we're really people who want to please God, we have no choice but to start over with him. As we 
think through and we read through God's Word, there, there are some examples that we see here in the Word of God. So we can see the need for it again. We can even realize, we can acknowledge that this is going to be something that's going to take some time. This is going to be something that's going to uh, take some energy and effort on our part if we're going to start over in our walk with God. But how do we do that? Fortunately, we have some examples, lots of examples, I think, of people in Scripture who started over. Because we are all, as the writer Paul writes in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, we all, all of us, Jew, Gentile, male, female, rich, poor, young, old, we have all sinned, right? And we all fall short of the glory of God. We are all people who need to start over with Him. And so as we read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we find that God's book really is just full of people who started over with Him. In fact, it might be better for us to ask the question, who in the Bible lived a life of obedient faith in God and did not start over? Can you think of an example? In all of Scripture, I might can think of a few but even those people where the Bible just really gives us a positive view of their faith and their faithfulness to God in Scripture, even those people are amenable to Romans 3 and verse 23. Even at some point, we may not have it recorded for us, but they sinned. And they fell short of the glory of God. So, because we only have a certain amount of time this morning, we're just going to think about three of those examples of people who started over and, and to see what that meant for them in their life so that we can, can follow their example. I want us to think, first of all, about the example of David. Uh, go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, we, of course, remember what happens in, in chapter 11 of the book of 2 Samuel. Uh, the sin that David commits with Bathsheba, the sin that he commits against Uriah, uh, the, the mess that is now in his life because of sin. And he's trying to do the best job he can of trying to make this sin go away. He doesn't want to have to deal with it. He doesn't want to have to face the consequences of this sin. Uh, but God steps into the picture here and God sends his prophet Nathan to confront him about the sin. I, I feel confident David being the man that he was, he knew. He knew that he had sinned against God. But I want you to just think about a few words that are said here. Notice verse 5. As Nathan tells David this little story or parable, and notice David's reaction here at verse 5. The Bible says, Then David's anger burned greatly against the man in this story that took the other man's ewe lamb. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He realized uh, he had an honest heart. As David was telling him this story, he knew the consequences that this man should face, that he should face death. But then David, uh, Nathan rather goes on to tell him, You're the man, and David uh, realizes that. And so he says at verse 13 to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. When, when David here, a man after God's own heart, as the Bible describes him, when he heard Nathan's story of this selfish, this man who was guilty of theft, that this man who was uh, treating his neighbor, not loving his neighbor as himself, he was treating him with cruelty. When he heard that story, he immediately said, this man in this story doesn't deserve to start over. No, this man deserves to die. And in saying that, David, I think, was exactly right. <laughs> you know, according to the law of Moses, this man deserved to die. He had violated God's law. 
he had violated his neighbor and the things that belonged to his neighbor, just as David had done toward Bathsheba and Uriah. But I want you to notice here in verse 13 that when David found out that he was the man, because he had the kind of heart that he had, he admitted his sin against God. God forgave him, as we read there in that verse, verse 13. But I want you to notice what else God did. God gave David an opportunity to start over. God would have been righteous and holy and just if he had taken David's life just right then, if he had uh, executed David, if he had had him killed. But God gave him an opportunity to start over. And David, I think, took full advantage of that opportunity. I want you to turn to Psalm 51. There are several psalms, of course, I, I believe are, are related to uh, this particular time, this event in David's life. Psalm 51 may be the most uh, poignant uh, of all of those psalms. Psalm 51, just notice a few verses here as is on the screen. Uh, psalm 51, verse 2. David says, wash me, as he's talking to God, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Drop down to verse 7, he continues to plead with God. He says, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And then down to verse 10, he continues to ask God to create in me a Clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from, my blood, from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. David wasn't just rejoicing in the fact that now God had taken away his sin, that, that God had taken away the guilt of his sin, and he was going to get back to living how he wanted to live. No, David, what seemed to upset him the most was that this relationship, this fellowship that he once enjoyed with God, it had been severed, it had been broken, it had been damaged. Not because of anything God had done, but because of what David had done. David was the responsible party here. And David is imploring the Lord, just wipe the slate clean. Give me a clean heart again so that I can tell other people, your people, about the gracious, compassionate God you are so that I can tell them, hey, I sinned and it ruined my life so that they won't go down the same path. He is committed to starting over, truly starting over, and devoting himself to using himself, to using his mind, body, and soul to praise God, to honor him throughout the rest of his life. You think that was easy for David to do? You think that was something that's just a natural response for him? I think it was very difficult. But he started over because God gave him the opportunity to do that. Well, let's think secondly about Peter. Uh, we've been talking about him some even just recently in our men's study in the Gospel of, of Mark. A uh, lot, lot that is said about Peter, especially in the Gospels and in the, the books that he wrote. I want you to go first of all to the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 22. I'm sure we remember uh, these, what happened here, this conversation or the words of Peter. Uh, Luke chapter 22 
as Jesus, Peter has, um, before Jesus' trial, before his arrest and trial, Peter has been very adamant that he is not going to desert the Lord. He is going to stand up, even if all the other apostles forsake him and flee, that Peter is going to be there with him to the end, even if it means his own death. And Jesus, you remember, said, that's not going to be true. Before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And that's exactly what we have here in the preceding verses to what we're going to look at this morning. But I want you to notice here, 61 and 62, Luke says, The Lord turned and looked at Peter after he denied him the third time. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. As soon, it seems like, as that third denial had just left his lips... As soon as he had said for the third time, I don't know the man. I don't know who you're talking about. Luke tells us the Lord looked at Peter and Peter just instantly, he instantly remembered his words and he went out and wept bitterly. Yes, he remembered the words that Jesus had said to him just a few hours before that you will deny me three times. However, I wonder if Peter did not soon remember some other words that his Lord had told him that are found in this same chapter, back in verses 31 and 32, here in Luke chapter 22. He said to Peter before his arrest and trial, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. In essence, I think Jesus was telling Peter here in these words, yes, you're going to sin. Yes, you are going to be weak in your faith. Yes, you are going to give in in a moment of weakness to temptation. But that's not the end of your story. You will start over. When you have turned again, then I've got work for you to do. I've got a, a job for you to do. I want you to strengthen your brothers. And that's exactly what Peter did. If you turn over to chapter 24 at verse 12, Luke 24 and verse 12, you remember the women running to the tomb and talking to the angels there and the angel telling them that he is not here, he is risen, he is going into Galilee just as he has said. And they came back and told the apostles and verse 11 of Luke 24 says that these words appeared to them, the apostles, as nonsense, but they would not, and they would not believe them. But, verse 12, Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. The words of Jesus came true, didn't they? And God was not finished with Peter. God still, like David, gave Peter another opportunity to start over with him to start over as a disciple of Jesus Christ, to start over as an apostle, one who, whose charge it was to take the good news to the rest of the world. And Peter took full advantage of that. A third and final example to consider this morning is Simon the sorcerer over in the book of Acts. In Acts 8, I'm sure we remember what is going on here is uh, Peter, Philip rather has come into the, to the uh, region of Antioch or the region of Samaria, and is preaching the gospel to Samaritans. And Luke tells us there that there were just men and women that were listening to the gospel, that they were believing that Jesus is the Christ. They were being baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And Simon the sorcerer was among those. And so he became a true believer. He was baptized into Jesus Christ. But then he sees Peter and John come from 
Jerusalem and they are able to just lay their hands on people and to impart the Holy Spirit to those believers. And so Simon saw all of that and he says, I, I want to be involved in that. You remember beginning uh, at verse 18 that he tries to offer them money. But notice here beginning at verse 20, Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Luke doesn't tell us, obviously, exactly how long this event occurs after uh, Simon the sorcerer became a Christian. But just in my reading of this text, it doesn't seem like it's very long. I don't know if it's hours or days or weeks. It doesn't seem like it's been a, a lot of time that has passed. And yet Simon sins here, as we just read in these verses. He was one, Peter says, who stood in desperate need of forgiveness. And so he asked Peter, an apostle, will you pray for me? Which it seems like the implication to me anyway in this text is that Peter did that. And he was wanting to pray or Peter to pray for him so that he could be forgiven. The intention of his heart could be forgiven, basically so that he could start over with God. You think about where this man came from. He, he was one, as it tells us earlier in Acts chapter 8, you know, all the people were praising him. He, he was a very famous person. And they were saying about Simon and his ability to do magic or sorcery that he has the power of God working in him. You can think about his ego. And here is this man who has sinned. And Peter says, you've sinned. Your, your heart is not right with God. And because it seems like his heart was touched with those words, he wants the opportunity to start over with God. So again, I would ask you about these three examples and many others we could think about this morning. Was it easy for David, the mighty king of Israel, or Peter, the renowned pillar among the apostles, or Simon, the once popular magician, to start over in their walk with God? I think we say, if we're looking at it honestly, no. It was very difficult for them, but by the grace of God and by the strength that comes through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, each of them did. And brothers and sisters, we can do the same as well. By God's grace and by the strength of Jesus Christ that allows us to accomplish all things that are good and right and holy, we can do that. So for the last few minutes this morning, I want us to think about starting over from this standpoint, that we can follow what I call the four R's. These three people that we have considered just briefly this morning, David and Peter and Simon and many others that we could look at from the text, though the details of these, uh, these real life people differ from one another, I think there are four things they had in common, four steps, if you will, that they all followed in this process of starting over with God. And here, here are the four R's, recognition, repentance, reconciliation, and then restoration. And that's exactly the process I think that all of us have to go through. If we are truly serious about starting over spiritually, if we are truly serious 
uh, about starting over just in any aspect of our life, that we've got to follow this process. We've got to put into practice these four R's. For all of us to start over, especially with God or with one another in the body of Christ or with our family or with our neighbors or whoever it is, for us to start over, we first of all have to recognize that we each have sinned. We have to come to the realization that each one of us has made a mess and we on our own cannot fix it. And we each have to recognize our need for a Savior. We have to come to that realization. We can't deceive ourselves and think, well, it's not really that bad. You know, I, I, know, tw- I, know, I know we've started a new year, but you know, I, I'll just try to keep hiding that sin like David did. <laughs> or I'll, you know, unlike Peter, like Judas, I'll just go out and take care of things myself because, hey, it's all over. There's nothing I can do. There's no point in starting over. We have to come to that recognition that we have sinned against our holy and righteous God and we are in desperate need of a Savior. Secondly, having done that, we need to be people who are repenting by turning away from our sin and turning to our great God. And as we've seen just in these three examples, but many others that we can consider, and maybe you can go home this afternoon or this week and you can think about some more examples. You can, uh, maybe this, this study will kind of spur you to think more about this. You can read through or look through your Bible uh, this year. But our great God specializes, I think, in helping us start over. He wants us to start over. He doesn't want us to die in sin. He doesn't want us to die in a lost condition. He doesn't want us to die and suffer the eternal consequence of being separated from Him forever. And then thirdly, we must be reconciled to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And fourthly and finally, we must be restored to God and devote the rest of our lives to doing His will. Boy, these 30 or so minutes goes by really fast. But we're about to be dismissed to classes. But I want to say in closing this morning, to those of you who are my family in Christ, to those of you who may be outside of Christ but are guest here with us this morning. This is really what Christianity is about. (laughs) This is why the gospel truly is good news of Jesus Christ. Because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But our God is such a gracious and loving and patient God that if we so desire, we can start over with Him. I hope you'll think about these thoughts. Carry them with you through the rest of this day and this week. If you need to start over in your life, if you need some help starting over, to let let us know how we can help you. So with those thoughts in mind, let's be dismissed to our classes.